Welcome to A Better Tomorrow, hosted by me, Tuha, and my co-host, Evelyn. Today, we talk to Temur, Elena, and Sherzad from Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan. Although they're all working on different projects, their projects correlate to one another, and that's why we wanted to interview the three of them to hear more about their passion projects. Temur is a senior advisor at Green Building Council Uzbekistan. Elena is working for their project Green Schools of Tashkent, and Sherzad is the first deputy manager of the state unitary company in Tashkent. Together, they want to promote green buildings, renewable energy, energy efficiency, and to educate children about the importance of being sustainable. We also talk about local environmental challenges, the benefits of green buildings, and why we really need them. So sit back and get ready for episode seven. Hi, and welcome to A Better Tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining us today. Both me and Evelyn are thrilled to have you on board and that you all were interested in recording this podcast with us. So first of all, how about each of you tell us a bit about yourself and what projects you're working on? Because as I understand it, all of you have your own different projects that correlates to one another. Um, so Timur, do you want to start? Sure, sure. <clears throat> I'm excited to, uh, to join the webinar. I think it's to join the uh, podcast. And uh, I think it's a great idea to, to be able to share um, some of the experiences and knowledge uh, with, uh, with people and uh, help them make better decisions uh, for better tomorrow, using your slogan. So um, I'm originally from Uzbekistan, uh, born and raised there, but for over 20 years, I live in the United States. And for 15 years, I've been working in the field of uh, energy efficiency, sustainability, uh, renewable energy. I've done um, <clears throat> probably serve. I've surveyed um, hundreds of homes, um, hundreds of buildings uh, over the last ten years. I worked primarily with large buildings, these are schools, hospitals, government buildings, um, office buildings, um, primarily on the efficiency side, and there was a. Uh, choice that I made to work with the existing buildings rather than with new buildings as, a, as my priority because um, one of the numbers that is kind of known out there that 80% um, of buildings that will be around next 20-30 years have already been built. So we might as well address the existing buildings if we want to have a, a significant enough impact on, um, on our environment. Um, uh, long-term environment and also the thinking about working with existing buildings helped me form my ideas for the new buildings as well that you know new buildings need to be designed and built as the buildings that will be existing in a year or so right after people actually occupy it, they need to work with people so in, in about a year and a half ago I came to work uh, to develop these concepts in Uzbekistan to see if energy efficiency, renew renewable energy will be interesting uh, for, uh, for people here. There's a lot of construction going on, lots of development. Uzbekistan is going through a boom. So it would be very helpful if um, ideas, concepts, green building standards, some methodologies, some technologies 
um, were introduced uh, to, to Uzbekistan so that these buildings that are being designed and built now hopefully will be uh, there for 50, 70, 100, maybe 200 years and uh, will be good buildings being around for 200 years, not bad buildings being around for 200 years. And the last thing I want to throw in here is um, my personal interest in so-called behavior-based strategies. This is how to change the human behavior in the buildings, occupants of the buildings, you and I, and the managers or the operators of the building. These will be engineers, architects, administrators, owners, how they make decisions and how they um, analyze the information. Uh, because at the end of the day, the buildings are for people. They need to work for people. They're built for people. And therefore, uh, if you want an efficient building, uh, first of all, that building needs to work for people. If it doesn't work for people, then it's not an efficient building. Thank you so much, Timur. So, Elena, how about you tell us a bit about yourself and the project that you're working on? Okay, hello everyone. My name is Elena and I'm from Kyrgyzstan and I'm mentor of Kidabrain and the external expert of the project Green School of Tashkent. I had experience um, in education. I used to be a teacher at the university for a while and also I have experience in business and in management. Uh, I finished um, my education in uh, England and six years ago I was back to Kyrgyzstan and um, I create a kind of uh, a startup, it's Kidabrain, uh, Kidabrain project. Uh, actually uh, the idea came up uh, some years ago but officially we started our work from 2019. Yeah, what is Kidabrain? Uh, yeah, do I can tell something about Kidabrain? And then yes, I will please. Start. Yeah, okay. Kidabrain, it's a startup project, and we develop and produce a creative and educational materials and products for kids using a gamification methods and glendoman, interactive methods and others. And our target audience is children of preschools and first graduated uh, group age. So when we create our materials, we always think about interactive, gamification, bilingual, multifunctionality, reusable and long-term using the materials is very important for us as well. So Kida Brain uses uh, bilingual ideas of education and uh, our materials available in many languages and we try to popularize uh, the languages as Kyrgyz language in my country, Kazakh language, uh, so we have uh, um, products in Russian, Kazakh, Uzbek, English, uh, Spanish uh, languages and others many languages. Um, and uh, Kidabre have kind of direction, it's a green generation um, project uh, which based on creating educational materials uh, and introducing to children the process of sorting, recycling, energy efficiency, saving the water, planting and other so it's uh, environmental issues and topics. 
and um, we have um, concepts and uh, different projects in that way. So we are working on a mobile application. It will be green generation, green talks for kids, and uh, we are part of the of the project Green Schools of Tashkent. Um, so I can start to tell something about that project. Yes, please. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm happy to be a part of that project, Green Schools of Tashkent. First of all, it's a behavior changing project. It's necessary to say that we need to motivate and to change the behavior to a green way thinking from early age to decay children from the youngest age and give them basic ideas to tell them some issues related about sustainable development, how to care about nature, motivate them to care about the resources, be nature-oriented and respect and care about our environment and planet. That project has two blocks. The first block is block for first grade group kids uh, and the second is for teenagers. And I'm responsible for the first block. So the first uh, block, it's uh, aimed at the strategic direction of training the next generation of citizens who from a young age will be inculcated with the ideas of economy and efficiency, as well as respect for the environment, interactive classes and homework their children do together with their parents will give children practical skills. And uh, of course, we will use uh, gamification here, um, the method of gamif uh, gamification base, based on uh, game mechanics, interacting and game thinking to motivate actions, promote learning and solve problems. Actually, the project uh, has the basic concepts as energy efficiency, saving electricity, gas and water, sorting and recycling, environmental protection. And uh, we will focus on that um, issues. Okay, wow. And would you say that the kids' response is good? Like, is it positive towards yes, this project? Yes, we, we, we will use, uh, you know, interactive way and, uh, and way of education. So uh, it will different, it will be different. The method of education will be different. And uh, when uh, many people think that early education is just learning the basic skills, but actually it's a very good time when children learn critical thinking, social skills, develop of an emotional, cognitive, physical needs. Uh, so it, uh, in order to build a solid and broad foundation for lifelong learning and well-being, so it's a good uh, period to introduce um, very specific and important um, topics as uh, sustainable development um, and others. Thank you, Helena. 
So, Chersod, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, the, actually, I went to university in uh, Scotland in 1998, uh, finished in 2001. Uh, my speciality is oil and gas. Uh, I did my master's. Um, so all my life, I was like engineering part of, the, of this uh, in education. And I finished technical university in Tashkent as well. So, uh, but uh, in, in the recent years, you know, I think uh, to be exact in 2013, uh, uh, we visit uh, some countries, uh, Germany, Israel, and with my colleagues, and uh, we saw how this uh, solar, you know, renewable energy is developing and really became interested and uh, like inspired with the new type of energy. So we don't need to burn fossil fuels anymore. We don't need to generate energy. We don't need to harm the nature, you know, extract it from the, uh, you know, inside of the, of the earth and then burn it and then, you know, spoil the climate. But when we can use the easy ways like the sun, sun rays and the wind, which is not uh, not harmful, okay? Which is uh, better for climate than any other si uh, source of energy. Even uh, now, we have speaking uh, we're speaking about nuclear, and you know, uh, even hydro is is more harmful than uh, solar and wind. So, uh, but yeah, it's okay. Uh, afterwards, we discover that there are more uh, more more parts of this. Like for example, in solar solar power, uh, in cells, uh, they use the uh, uh, silicon which is also, you know, the harmful technology for nature and the wind power actually can actually, uh, you know, harm the birds and, uh, you know, the infrared, uh, uh, sorry, the ultrasonic, the sounds which are generated from the wind uh, blades can actually harm the, the land around this uh, wind, uh, windmills. So, I um, mean, okay, but it's another part. So energy is always, always harmful for this planet anyway, but um, we were inspired at that time in 2013. So um, with my colleague, my, Michael Shamshidov and a few other guys, uh, Hikmat Abdurrahmanov, we create the club, uh, Alternative Energy Club, uh, where we decided to promote renewable energy in this country because it was new, uh, a new type of energy. No one actually did so much apart from the, some of the research people uh, you know, the, in, uh, in physics, in nuclear physics, they, they did some research. Uh, uh, but a part of it, uh, you know, in business and another, uh, it was not present in this country at the time. But uh, likely, uh, you know, the whole uh, kind of world actually uh, take this uh, wave of the renewable, uh, maybe because of Germany in the first place, they, they start to promote. And then uh, in the States, China, then India also take. Uh, take, take over this, uh, you know, the leader, leadership, then now they are competing. So, I mean, uh, now, uh, our president actually declared the, the construction of the solar wind power station in Samarkand in uh, 100 megawatts. It was actually signed uh, in 2013, November, uh, with the Asian Development Bank. And, uh, and the same year was created Solar uh, Institute of, Sol of Solar Power. Yeah, uh, in, in Uzbekistan, and since then, actually, the more active work started. Uh, however, it was really difficult to change the mind of the energy people. Uh, I spoke to them a lot. Uh, most of them were negative. Uh, most of them were actually mm, more conservative. Uh, you know, in, uh, in, when related to energy, if you know this country burns the natural gas 
to generate mm -hmm. electricity because we have a lot of resources of natural gas. We used to have a lot of oil now, oil is uh, uh, almost finished. So gas is still existing. And this is kind of uh, the problem for us because um, we still rely on natural gas and uh, sometimes on coal, coal we have also big reserves, and we don't think about uh, new type of energy. We don't actually research when we have easy, you know, existing system of the uh, pumping uh, gas and burning it uh, in, in the power stations. So uh, when we start talking about that, <clears throat> uh, people from Ministry of Energy from Uzbek Energy, you know, our uh, main uh, monopoly energy company, they were actually um, trying to persuade, you know, change our mind. But anyway, uh, this uh, in, uh, the influence was, you know, the, the government itself actually were positive about that and they were keep pushing the uh, people from energy sector to change their mind to start building this power station. Thank you so much, Sherzad. That's very interesting. And you mentioned some really important topics. So thank you so much for that. And moving on to Temur, one thing that you have brought up a few times is renewable energy. Could you please tell us a bit more on why it's so important to have renewable energy? So renewable energy, you'll be actually amazed that the, the solar cell that, that, is, that goes into the design of the solar panel, for example, um, has been invented something like 170 years ago or more. Um, so the technology has been around for some time, space industry has been using solar power forever. Uh, solar hot water systems, heating were using sun, that's been around for hundreds if not thousands of years. Um, using wind obviously has been around forever. Um, so we've been using renewable energy, using water to uh, rotate the uh, mills, uh, for example, that's been around forever. So um, we've been using renewable energy uh, partially out of necessity. There was no um, steam-powered engine or internal combustion engine for most of the human history. So we learned how to uh, draw energy from, from nature. And this was sort of the, the logical way of, of doing that. And so renewable energy, just the, the term itself, renewable, is renewable because we can quickly renew it. Uh, because the um, source of energy, it's sun, for example, so we, we get this energy every day. And the energy itself is free. The infrastructure to draw that energy and to turn it into something useful is not free. That's something that we have to develop technology, you know, put the construct uh, equipment and whatnot, but the, the source of energy is, is free and it's abundant, uh, which is, have not learned it, how to use it properly. So the, uh, if you look the entire cycle from the building of solar panel, for example, all the way to, to recycling it, um, yes, there's a little of a balancing act there that you need to figure out um, how much impact we have on the environment. But overall, this is a very, very environmentally clean. These are clean energy sources, uh, solar, electric, um, uh, solar power, wind, uh, these micro hydropower plants, for example, those are very clean energy sources. And they actually allow us to switch from these uh, huge, from the huge network of the gigantic power generators, coal fired or nuclear power, whatnot, that we have in massive power lines 
to smarter grid where we can generate energy when we need it, where we need it, and in the amount that is needed. Not more, not less, not run massive power lines, nothing of that sort. So we, we have an opportunity here to have good, reliable, and clean energy, and that's what the renewable energy is for. Okay, I see. And so renewable energy is something big in Uzbekistan. It's getting there. Now, we should, I guess, separate two things. One is traditional use of renewable energy, solar energy and, um, and, and uh, hydro energy, right? Because that, this area is ancient, Tashkent, the capital, is probably one of the youngest cities in the neighborhood. It's about 2,000 years old. Um, so um, using solar energy, for example, to dry fruit, you know, that's been around forever here. Um, designing buildings in a way that they can take advantage of solar heat, that's something that's been around here for forever. And using water as a source of energy has been around here forever because irrigation channels, you know, that's something that's been here for at least two, 3,000 years. So that's traditional, that's historic, that's been here. The new part of the solar energy and wind that there, uh, Uzbekistan uh, just uh, developed a 10-year plan um, where solar and wind and hydro play an important role. Uh, there's a massive amount of power um, generating capacity uh, that will be uh, designed over the next uh, several years. Um, there is more interest in that. People are asking questions. People are trying to install systems on their own uh, buildings, their businesses, their homes. So it's definitely growing. Okay, I'm happy to hear that, that a lot of things are happening in Uzbekistan. For sure. So, yeah. So you also mentioned about old versus new buildings. Why, like, what's the environmental footprint on the old ones? Like, why, why do we need newer buildings? So, um, if we look at them, there are, there are, there's this so-called traditional construction. These, I would think about these buildings that were built pretty much around the world all the way before electricity. So if you look at buildings that are 150, 170 years old or older, or were built using those technologies, they usually would fit their local environment. It would be the proper selection of materials. So if it's a house in Sweden, then it's probably, you know, you use wood a lot of there, and then there's some insulation between the logs. And so that would be the proper uh, construction there to keep uh, warm in winter and keep, you know, relatively comfortable in summer. In Uzbekistan, you would have adobe, these, um, you know, muds mixed with straw uh, structures with thick walls that have tremendous thermal mass. It takes a long time for them to heat up. So in summer, when it is, you know, 40, 45 Celsius um, in, in shade, then, you know, that's most ideal construction because it helps keep the house cool. Now that's old construction. So those traditional methods, they work well. When you take a traditional home in Uzbekistan, you put a little AC unit and you're comfortable. The newer construction over the last 150 years and definitely <clears throat> over the last 
50, 60 years when the air conditioning became available, those buildings have traditionally been wasteful. They've been designed so that, you know, if there is a need for comfort, if they need for more air conditioning, you just put a bigger system. Uh, you need lights, instead of uh, trying to get more natural light, you just put more light bulbs. This is how the design has been over the last 50, 70 years, this so-called sort of technological approach uh, to energy. And these buildings are here, they will be here for some time, and so these buildings need to be renovated. And the new construction, if we're building a new building, we have all this good knowledge now. A combination of traditional construction and integrate with the new technologies. So we can build new buildings that are super comfortable, smart, very efficient, um, very resilient. Uh, that means that they can survive all sorts of environmental circumstances and still provide a safe and functional uh, environment for people and comfortable environment for people. So there's a balancing act uh, between all these three types of structures, very old traditional, this mid-technological wasteful construction, and then the, then the new construction. But, you know, if you look at the carbon footprint of a building, Probably the, the, the biggest part, the most sort of significant part of the footprint comes during the construction. It's concrete, it's uh, metal, the windows, construction equipment, all that stuff. So massive amount of um, carbon has been sort of built in into the building. So if you, if you demolish it and you build new, you're doubling, tripling the... the carbon emission equivalent uh, so if you take an existing building and you try to make it better then you're at least saving that amount of carbon emissions that already sort of integrate into the building so that's yeah. kind of an approach so that's your project like that's what green building is about green building yes so if you look sort of at the broader concept of green building that's exactly that which is difficult to say exactly when you talk about this type of broad uh, systematic approaches. But the green building is an, um, I would almost look at that as a sort of an organism that um, intuitively or through sensory uh, mechanisms uh, reacts to the environment outside and reacts to the needs of humans inside the building and in the most efficient way in most optimized way provides comfort functionality and safety uh, for people and has a sort of least um, the smallest impact on the environment uh, outside of the building so that would be the green building and so the green building council of uzbekistan what we the, the nonprofit that we created its goal is to promote these concepts educate public so that whether people buy a house, whether people build a house, or they actually manage a construction of a large building, so they can make better decisions. So they can see themselves as part of that, again, using uh, uh, your uh, name of the program, as part of the better tomorrow, right? Rather than, you know, leaning back on the quote-unquote traditional construction over the last 50, 70 years. Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to ask you actually, 
why are you so passionate about these projects related to green building, renewable energy? Why do you think it's important to educate the, the public about this? That's a <clears throat> deep question, I guess. <laughs> so <laughs> you, because uh, uh, first of all, it's, uh, uh, I guess, stems from my personal uh, curiosity and personal passion. So when I was when I was a kid, um, one of the kind of flashpoints in my in my memory, uh, yeah. and this where where I can see the connection to this whole uh, green building is um, when I was visiting my uh, with my family. We were visiting some relatives, and we were going through this new construction site. So there were these high-rise apartment buildings being built. Um, everything has been flattened, no trees, because this is a new construction site, dust, con uh, construction equipment, concrete, asphalt. So it's kind of like desolate kind of environment. And then there were still some uh, little kind of islands of uh, old traditional homes left in the area that where people still lived and our relatives lived there. So as you walk in, when we were going there in summer, it's, it's scorching hot in summer. You, you're walking, walking on that asphalt, it's, it's dust, it's you know, hot air, you're breathing the hot air. And you walk yeah. into that street and the temperature drops, like literally it just drops. Yeah. And because you have these plants that kind of um, provide shade, you have trees, grapevines growing over streets or over houses and, and and i was i was shocked i was like how is it possible why is it so cool here so that was sort of my first memory and it just kind of drew curiosity that over the years um you know i i, I kept up my my interest in this in this subject yeah. and eventually when it became a a, a career and I learned broader understanding of the world as a, as a finite space mm. where we can potentially use up resources, where we can potentially um, damage environment to the point that the following generations of people will not be able uh, to live um, comfortably, safely as, as we do now. Mm. And then I, I also am a big fan of... Um, science fiction what sometimes people call hard science fiction so no zombies or anything but there were uh, fiction that was written in 50s 60s 70s very oh, heavily yeah. <laughs> very heavily scientific like um uh, arthur clark and um, um isaac asimov those guys yeah so they, they were they were scientists uh, as, as sort of their main occupation so they, they analyzed uh, models of you know how would humankind develop if certain things happen so for example having environmental disasters was one of the subjects that's you know been visited by science fiction quite a bit so how humans survive so <clears throat> i've had this kind of understanding that um first of all we have a finite world we have a finite set of resources we have responsibility for the future generation and we can do things better. There is no good reason not to do good things right now. So, yeah, because what you mentioned, um, if we go back to where you were talking about this heat that you felt, 
is that the urban heat island effect correct because of all the buildings around you and then you said that you had that it became colder if if you were surrounded by plants and is that is that like um is there a connection between those two um absolutely so I'm, I'm so I'm glad you mentioned this this term, the heat island effect uh, for the um, for urban areas. Yeah. Um, if you look at uh, if you ever track just out of your own sort of for your own sake for curiosity for several days, just see the uh, weather forecasts for some uh, major metropolitan area and the area surrounding, and you will see the temperature difference especially in summer and it may be like five, seven, even 10 degrees difference. Yeah. And it's obviously uh, primarily stems from the amount of asphalt, concrete, glass, yeah. and black tar roofs, right? And lack of greenery, trees, uh, fields, and, and, and whatnot. So all these materials, they absorb heat uh, throughout the day and then they radiate that heat in the evening and through the night. So usually, like typically, if you take a village, for example, a small village in the countryside, it warms up during the day, but at night it cools off because there's no concrete or asphalt or anything to hold that much heat. But in the city, because it's all so dense, there is not enough time and coolness overnight to cool off all that concrete and asphalt at night. So by the time sun comes up the next morning, you already have enough heat in the city. Now you're building up on top of that. So it, it, it becomes this sort of feeding mechanism that makes it very uh, challenging to, uh, to cool the city. And just a couple of days ago, we were talking here about, uh, about this because in Tashkent, it's a major problem. Some of these new construction projects, you know, they cut down some old trees that have been around, I don't know, 100 years old trees or whatnot. So um, it, it's a problem. And the heat island effect is not just a comfort issue. Um, it's, there's economic cost. You know, you have to use AC more um, in cars in houses so in buildings so if you're using ac more in buildings then the generators working more if they work more then they burn gas or coal or whatever the source of energy so you have you kind of multiply the pollution and if cars are burning more uh, running ac more they have to burn gasoline more so you you have this multiplying effect from this concrete and asphalt that creates uh, more pollution, creates more need for um, air conditioning and, and, and actually makes the air uh, dirtier because you have dust, you have particles from um, exhaust from vehicles, the rubber tires wear off um, more on hot asphalt and so on and so forth. So it's, it's just gonna multiplying effect from from heat island but fortunately there are ways to deal with that the greenery green roofs and parks and uh, uh, the selection of materials white roofs those are uh, very uh, sensible solutions and, and 
cities around the world are trying those uh, solutions right now. That's very interesting. I, I also want to talk about you uh, because you said that there are solutions, but I was also thinking about education uh, in terms that you have a project right now where you're educating children about these matters. Why do you think that is important for children to know about renewable energy, green buildings? So we launched uh, a program called Green Schools of Uzbekistan and uh, as part of it, Green Schools of Tashkent. I think you saw the note about Tashkent, the capital. But overall, it's the Green Schools of Uzbekistan. The primary objective there is to educate children so that obviously as they grow up, they will be able to make better decisions. Now. Before they grow up, we adults have sort of an opportunity to make things right or an opportunity to make things wrong. Um, fortunately, if we teach children at school, children take that knowledge from schools to their homes. They teach their parents, they share with their, with their parents. And then the parents share with the community or they share or the children share with their peers. So there's that multiplication effect there where the benefits of your efforts kind of multiply throughout the community. The important part of the program that we're doing that goes beyond just what you may call uh, education, our program is, is a behavior-based uh, program. Right? That is, uh, it integrates the strategies for changing behavior. And the difference here is that we want to drive kids to a specific action. For example, if we're doing some education about efficient use of appliances at home, so then the questions would be, you know, would you turn it off when you finish using it? Should you turn it on? Should it stay on all the time, right? So those kind of questions. Or when brushing teeth, should you, you know, turn the water off? While, while you're brushing your teeth and waiting for a couple of minutes while, while you're doing that. So we, we raise some ideas, we raise some concepts, we make the connection to their immediate environment, their classroom, their school, so they can uh, see the relevance. It's not just theoretical knowledge, it's, it's very specific to their immediate environment. And then we give assignments and activities for them to do at home with their siblings and their parents. And that's what takes the knowledge there. So hopefully, if the parents get the information from their kids, then they will be more responsible in their decisions when it comes to throwing trash in the street, or if their managers at some facility, you know, how do you run the facility? Um, open up their eyes so that they can start thinking, the adults, the parents, about the world that they leave for their children. So hopefully that kind of answers the question why I think the education is important. Yeah, that's, that's true what you said. You need to start with them when they're small because children, they, they love to talk to their parents about what they have learned. So I, I do believe that your strategy is really, is actually, it's quite amazing that you're doing this. 
And it also leads me to my next question. What lies in the future for green building in Uzbekistan? Well, first of all, we hope to expand this program. You know, we did uh, uh, two schools last fall, one uh, large high school uh, this spring. We were caught uh, by the pandemic with the quarantine uh, right in the middle of our project. So um, now we're kind of trying to expand it, put it into the virtual environment, but then also have a backup plan in the live environment. So hopefully if, as we at some point resolve this whole issue with pandemic, then we can go back to schools and, and teach. So we want to expand and cover as many schools as possible over the next several years, if not all of them. <clears throat> That's a big, big push. The other part is we, we want to start working and we start already working with the, with the industry, with engineers, with architects, with designers, uh, with builders to teach them about the benefits of green building, the benefits for them as professionals, the economic benefits, the benefits for their customers, people who will occupy the buildings, um, who will uh, you know, buy apartments from them or whatnot. So teach them so they can, so they can start making better decisions um, as they uh, construct these buildings now. Um, and um, um, put some challenging ideas in front of put some innovative ideas. Um, you know, there are, there are designs where you can uh, basically um, have a building that generates as much energy as it consumes. So you don't need to have electricity coming from outside, theoretically. The building can be off-grid and provide 100% of its energy through renewable energy. It's very challenging, but it's possible. Uh, there are buildings like that around the world. So we want to bring these innovative concepts to, to people here. The, the, the younger generation of architects and engineers that I already met here, that they have traveled around the world, they have seen projects, they want to do innovative projects. It's just they are junior right now in their companies and their organizations they're not the ones who make the decisions. So, but if we educate them, if we work with them, you know, within the next, you know, three to five years, 10 years, they will be the ones who will be in decision-making capacity. So they will be able to make big decisions right so that, you know, we have good, healthy, functional, resilient green buildings in Uzbekistan. That sounds like a promising future. I, I do hope so that these young people are the ones that will start giving Uzbekistan the opportunity to go to a more sustainable, uh, to adopt sustainable ways, basically. So thank you so much for, for this. Yes, thank you, Tamur. I have two final questions to ask you. Uh, sure. Two questions that we always ask our speakers at the end. So the first one is, the most important thing I can do to help the planet achieve sustainability is? Well, they always talk about small steps, how you should make some small steps in your home, in your life, so that small steps 
of seven and a half billion people add up to something big. But I would actually challenge that thought, well, by all means, do your small steps, do some big steps, um, especially for the young people who are not constrained by all this mindset that, that adults are constrained. Challenge mm. the environment, make those big steps. Maybe you will fall once, twice, three times, but then you will get up and you'll make some more big steps. So that would be probably my um, suggestion. But but do turn the lights off, do turn, <laughs> turn the water off, <laughs> do, do that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, every step counts, right? Yes, Every absolutely. action counts. Absolutely. And, and finally, what is a positive message you want to communicate to our listeners? Well, I think a very interesting observation that came out of, out of this pandemic right now, which, you know, if, if people track the news, environmental news in any way, I mean, obviously it's, it's a challenging, these are challenging times, but the pollution in uh, uh, all of the large metropolitan areas, air pollution went down significantly. Um, obviously, we cannot maintain, we cannot sustain our economies in the way that keeps that pollution so down. But we, as a humankind, we saw that it is very possible and it is in our capacity to change how we do things on a global scale and there is actually impact and very immediate impact. All this talk that, you know, the pollution that humankind causes is so insignificant compared to the scale, it just went away because, you know, seven and a half billion people, and even not all seven and a half billion people, you know, countries went in stages, we, we saw a significant drop in pollution. And, and people, learn how to do things different, differently, out of necessity, out of very bad necessity, but they learn. So, so what, I, what I'm trying to say here is over the last several months, we as a humankind learned that we can do things on a global scale that can improve the environment and rather immediately. It's not something that you know we do now and and the result in 20 years. Of course, there will be good results in 20 years, but we can see results next week. This is what we saw. And, and so um, this gave more reasons for people to step up and do just like what we were talking about the previous question, small steps, big steps, you know, you, we can do it, that's for sure. Thank you, Timur, Elena, and Shersod. We are so pleased that you wanted to participate in our podcast. We're particularly grateful that you all took your time in explaining the whole purpose behind the Green Building Council of Uzbekistan. Moreover, we find it fascinating how you're spreading your knowledge to a younger generation through projects like Green Schools of Tashkent. If you want to learn more about these projects, please make sure to visit the Green Building Council of Uzbekistan's website, which is also added on the description for this episode. You can also find them on Facebook, where they post everything from live webinars, 
and also provide you with more information on their work. Also, please do not forget to subscribe to the podcast for more upcoming episodes.